so glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for coming on this uh, kind of dreary morning uh, to be a part of our church. Today is an awesome day for me. My uh, my two oldest kids uh, led worship uh, just a few minutes ago in the kids area. It's like a first uh, for me, so I'm so excited to have them doing that. And my uh, middle uh, kiddo, um, or one of my middle kiddos, Hudson, uh, to do uh, the, the slides back there in, in the kids' area, so I'm pretty excited about that right now. So, um, in any case, glad that you're here. We've been in a series on talking about uh, what are the essentials of the Christian faith? What does it look like to be a believer in Jesus Christ? And what, is it, what does that look like? Part of the reason why we're going over this is, is in part to kind of communicate what our church is all about. Uh, what, what is outward church really focusing on during this time? Um, but part of it is, uh, is basically uh, to show us what, what are some things that we may be missing right now? What are some things that we uh, may be losing occasionally in the uh, day-to-day operation of being a part of the church and so forth. And so that's uh, in part what we've uh, tried to do. Over the last couple of weeks, what I've really been trying to communicate to us is this idea that what it means to be a disciple is somebody that understands the story of Jesus. We talk about how we want to be, at our church, we want to make disciples who love Jesus and live outward. And so what does it mean to be a disciple who loves Jesus? What does it mean to be somebody who in, engages with Jesus on this level uh, that, uh, that just has this real love for Him? More than just saying, like, I'm cool with Jesus and I, I like Jesus. But what, it, what does that actually mean? And so we got into kind of the particulars of this. What it means to love Jesus is that you're marked by His story and His people and His rule, His kingship, His, uh, his ability to tell us what to do. And so the, over the last two weeks, uh, and in fact not last week, but the two weeks prior to that, we were talking about His story and how His story gets ingrained into us when we understand our story of shame, when we understand the reality of, of what drives us many times in life to overwork or to sin or to lie or to uh, love money too much or to love sex too much or to engage in uh, you know, drug use and try to be out of our mind through drugs or alcohol or whatever, but even things like gossip and overeating and things of that nature. Like, What is it that's driving us in our world? What's driving most of our world to do what it does, which seemingly just continues to go down into the gutter day in and day out as things as the wheels fall off, I think, uh, of culture and of society, what's driving us, and really what's driving us is the thing that drove Adam and Eve in the garden, and it is shame. This story of shame that we have, that we carry around with us, and we don't expose very often, and we try to hide so frequently uh, from this story of shame. And so we try to build ourselves up, and we try to not uh, allow shame to get us by saying, I'm just going to work incredibly hard so that I can never be uh, called lazier, so that I never end up as poor as I was when I grew up. Um, something along those lines. So we have this story of shame, but when we really get into loving Jesus and we understand His story, and what is His story? His story is a story of grace and mercy. 
So we have our story that is not grace and mercy. It's an evil taskmaster that is driving us and driving us and driving us. And it's causing all kinds of problems in our lives. But Jesus' story of grace and mercy, the story of God's redemption through Jesus that plays out through all of the scriptures, ultimately and finally, uh, can cover our shame. And in fact, what Jesus does when he goes to the cross is that he takes our story of shame and sin and he gives us his perfect story of grace and mercy. And he says that that story of grace and mercy is now your story. And so the, uh, the thrust of the scriptures is essentially this. To become who you are. To live according to his story. Live as though you're not being driven by this evil taskmaster of shame and sin. But live as though you are being driven by the story of grace and mercy. The story of grace and mercy is the gospel. It is the story of how Jesus went to the cross for us. He takes our shame and he crucifies that on the cross. And he gives us his story of grace and mercy. And now his word to us is live in the reality of what that means. Live in the reality of you are approved. You can't work to, to get my love. You already have it. Now become who you are. So the next step that we have is to be marked by his people, which is what I want to talk today about. Now what does it mean to be marked by his people? Another way to say this would be to live in community as a church, as God's people. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes when it comes to community, it can be a difficult thing. It can be a really difficult thing. In fact, sometimes when we think about community, when we think about like going to a community group and you walk into someone's house and you're just like, am I really going to like these people? I mean, are they, they going to like the things that I like? I mean, and then you sit in a group and everyone gives surface answers to these uh, kind of scripted questions and everyone's just like, Oh, you know, I uh, instead of reading uh, seven times a week, I uh, you know I I really only read six and a half times, and it was like, oh, that's so bad. Oh my gosh, you should really work on that kind of a deal. And that's not really something that someone's revealing about themselves. And so we have these surface level conversations in community. And so what what many of us are driven to do, what many of us are driven to be, is people who live individ individualistic lives. And the question is, is that like, is, is it really important that I am a part of what God is doing on that level? Because honestly, uh, many times I have my own friends outside of the church. Honestly, many times I, I really have a ton of other things that I'm doing. Is it really that important for me to be a part of this thing when really the entire thing just kind of irritates me? I don't even like the sermons that are being preached. And I just think I want to be out of here. I try to get into church and out as quickly as possible so that no one ropes me into serving in kids' ministry, whatever it is. And so I just try to get in and out. But here's the thing, is that when you come to a realization that outside of understanding his story, when you come to a realization that you are operating on an operating system, it's like, it's like living your life as though you're operating on Windows 95. 
Like it, it, it for you computer geeks out there. Uh, it's, it's like operating on this old operating system that is clunky and does not work very well and is always uh, malfunctioning. And so what does God have, what does God intend for us? Does God intend for us to be a part of awkward community groups and interactions where we're constantly feeling forced into serving? Or does God have something so much larger for us? And I would say that the answer to that is absolutely yes. God has so much more for us. And I would venture to say this, that at our church, even our church, that we have barely scratched the surface of what it means to be a community. That we have barely scratched the surface of what it means to truly have great friendships and to operate as His people. And it's in large part because we have carried over this individualistic mentality from our culture. I don't know if you've seen that much uh, in our culture today, but it is constant. It is absolutely constant, this drive towards individualism. If you compare it to other cultures, uh, Hispanic cultures, uh, really almost any other culture in the world is, is not driven towards individualism, but is, it is driven towards a commu community. It's driven towards a family that is operating together and, and uh, that working for each other and things of that nature. But our society is driven towards individualism. And it has from the very earliest days. I've said many times here, I really love the, the history of the United States. Uh, there's a great documentary uh, called The West. And it really just kind of talks about how the West was discovered and won and all of that, the Western United States. And how it was like this promised land with uh, you know, gold diggers and um, and all, all kinds of things like that, and property, and 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 getting a piece of property for yourself. But this, you, as you watch this documentary, what you see so much is that this idea of rugged individualism—a guy going out with his family and getting some uh, some property for free and just. Grinding it out, uh, you know, making a farm and just trying to survive and hoping no one dies from sickness. And this is really ingrained in us. This is a part of who we are. But then you fast forward to uh, over the last couple of decades and you see the advent of the Internet. And then uh, from the Internet, we went to smartphones. And from smartphones, we got really into social media. And so we've gone from this idea of living communally to the point where we are so individualistic and now we're in individualized on steroids. Where we have this individualism that drives us so much and we think that we're connected. Not everybody in here is on social media, but the, the truth is, is that we have more distractions in our life today than ever before. We can have a, a, a fake uh, type of community so many anytime we want to we can just open up our phone and we can say oh what are they doing what are they doing what, what are they doing and it suffices for a little bit it's like taking a drug to make us feel better but the truth is is that I, I might feel better while I'm high but the truth is that underneath all of that I'm still
still the same person. I'm still the person that's depressed. I'm still the person that's trying to put horrific memories behind me. I'm still the person that's living in all of this guilt and shame. I'm still that person. Even though I have the drug of social media, even though I have the drug of distraction from all of these things. And our church as a church that is a younger church is suffering from this to the point that there are so many of us in here that have yet to connect personally with other people. And the truth is, is that many of us were so young at the advent of the internet and social media and all of that, that we don't know anything else. We don't know anything else other than what this is. But the truth of what we see from Scripture is that you were not designed for individualism. You were not designed to be somebody who's by yourself. You were not designed to be somebody who is not deeply connected with other people. We see it from the very first pages of Scripture. We see uh, who God is. That God exists as three persons in one essence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says, let us make man in our own image and likeness. So the truth of you and I is this, is that we have been created to be in the image and likeness of God. We're created like Him, and He is one who lives in the, con uh, in the context of joy and love uh, in that community between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you and I were created to be like God in that sense, to need other people. You go a little bit further in Genesis, as we just recently did, as we walked through it, and it says that it is not good for man to be alone. God looks at Adam and he says, it is not good that you should be alone. And that's just not a comment that's just about men and, and their... Uh, their, their lives kind of being a wreck without a, a great woman to be a part of that. I believe that as well. But what it's saying is this. It is not good for humanity to live alone. We were not designed to be alone. So from the very beginning, you have always been designed to be a part of community. You have always been designed to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You go a little bit further, and quite a bit further, as we get to the New Testament. And what Jesus says is that He says, when you make disciples, I want you to do this. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you're created to be this way. We, the, the fall of humanity comes, and we want to do our own thing in our own time, this idea of individualism. But then when Jesus comes, He saves us from our individualism, and He baptizes us into a community. And that community is being baptized into God Himself, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the initiation into what it means to be a Christian in the first place. We're brought into the community of God. Not only are we created in His image and likeness, but we're brought in in a special way, spiritually, when we become a believer and are baptized. That takes place. And then what takes place after that? We become the body of Christ. You look, if you were to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ 
and individually members of it. When Jesus saves you, He's not saving you as an individual to live as an individual so that you can go on living individualistically. Jesus doesn't save you so that you can live the way that our culture does. And here's what we get wrong so many times. What we get wrong is this idea that this church should operate much like our culture does, and that is that church and, and the community that it provides should be convenient, it should be consumeristic, and it should be contrived. Convenient being this, as long as it does not inconvenience me, then I'll come. As long as there's no inconvenience for me to be a part of this community group, or to go serve in this place, as long as it doesn't inconvenience me on a Sunday morning, then, then I'll, I'll come, I'll be a part of that. But what we don't realize is that you've been saved to be a part of a body. It's not just you. You are a part of the body. And when you're not here, not just on Sunday morning, but when you're not connected, it is as though there's a part of our body, our arm, or whatever else is missing. Because you're not here. You're not a part of it. So we think of it as being convenient. It will be convenient for me. We think consumeristically, as long as it provides me entertainment, I'll play. As long as I'm entertained by what's happening here, as long as it provides entertainment for me, then I'll be a part of this. And this is why so many times in massive churches around the country, what you see is you see something that is akin to Disneyland in every aspect. Now, in some ways, it's very invitational to people that don't know Jesus. I could go to Disney, or I could go to this massive megachurch. You know, the megachurch is free, let's go there today. You know, that, that kind of thing. And so what that church can provide are all of these goods and services. If I come, and it's convenient, because you have 50 million services, and you've got 50 million community groups and different types of uh, groups that I could be a part of, affinity groups, then I'll be there. But what ends up happening is that it turns into consumerism. So we as Christians have turned this into something that must be convenient, it must be consumeristic, and then lastly, it must be contrived. As long as we all act like we don't have problems, and we don't go too deep, I'll participate. And this one is especially true of men. This is especially true of us. When we get into the room and we think that someone's going to ask us hard questions, or when we get into the room or we think that we're going to be talking about our emotions or our feelings, I don't know, guys, I'm with you. I don't love it all the time. And I've had to do so recently through some circumstances in my life. But I like to act like I don't have emotions, like nothing bothers me, like there's no big deal. But that also plays itself out in our community groups. And not just community groups, but in the life of the church. As long as I act like I don't have any problems, everything will be fine. Everything will be okay. And it is in that sense that it keeps us from being people who are actually connected with one another. Because we don't really know one another. See, Satan's great tool in your life is to make you believe you are alone. There's no one else who struggles like you do. They wouldn't understand. Don't tell anyone. 
and it'll be just fine. The problem with that is that it keeps you from living as the creature that God has created you to be. Because you were not created to be alone in yourself and with yourself. You were created to be a part of a community. And the longer you and I can go on thinking that church should be convenient, consumeristic, and contrived, we can continue to not operate as a community. I believe that God is calling us to so much more. God is calling us to be not just living as community, because I think that word has lost its meaning. The word community has, has lost its meaning in some ways in the church. And so we think to ourselves that like community is just, you know, it's, it's what I go and do. I hang out with those people. But real community, uh, real community when it is happening means that I am marked by. I am marked by you when we connect. I'm marked in the group of people that I share my stuff with, I am marked and I am changed by you. I'm changed by what God is doing in and through you. And then that comes to me and I see what's happening. And I see, I see you revealing what's happening in your life. And it changes who I am because of some great things. And then I want to read you this passage because I think this is a great picture of what it looks like. Ephesians 4 uh, verse 11 through 16 says this, And He, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now those are the offices in the church. Those are various roles within the context of the church. They're lead roles in the church. And it's basically the Apostle Paul saying, Jesus gave these people this gifting to help the church become what it's supposed to become. So here, here's these, these leaders, but this is the part that I really wanted you to hear. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So that there's, there's a reason, there, there's a purpose behind what we're doing here. And it, and it isn't just to come and, and be entertained. And, and it isn't just to come and have this contrived uh, type of conversation and inauthenticity. But it's for something else. It is so that we can operate together for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we don't exist just for ourselves. We exist for this body of people. We exist to build this body up. And so what I've got to ask you is that you are you entrenched in this life that this world tells us that we should have, which is individualism on crack, that is leading you to further and further isolation as you hide your shame and as you avoid really telling people what you're feeling and why you feel that way? Or are you somebody who is about this body of believers, this body of Christ that is saying, I am here for the body. This isn't about my consumerism. I'm not here to consume. I'm here to build. I'm not here as somebody who's just here to consume. I'm here as somebody who is here to build. He says in verse 13, and, and look at what happens as a result. Until we, uh, until we all attain the unity of the faith. Think about that phrase. Like there's this unity that can only come from 
those of us who are believers and working and serving together to build up the body of Christ, to work and serve together. And it brings about this unity of our faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So here's what happens. It's like when you're involved with what God is doing here and you have it as your purpose, I'm not here to consume, but I'm here to build up the body of Christ. Not only does it bring about this level of faith, this unifying faith, but it also helps me know Jesus better in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Like, I know Jesus better because you're devoting your life to the body of Christ. You're devoting who you are to building up this thing that Jesus calls His church. Like, to me, that is so crazy because subculturally in Christianity, oftentimes we think, you know what, I've got a relationship with God. You know, like, I, I read my Bible occasionally. I go to church every now and then. But the truth is, is that's totally divorced from what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because of this, the story of God, the story of grace and mercy, the story of Jesus does not get implemented as your story, does not become your story in reality, even though that's who you are, without God's people being in your life and you being in their life. You learn more about who Jesus is. And what happens as a result of that? We have this knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood. That there's a maturity that happens. What that is saying there is that maturity in the faith does not happen when you're isolated as an individual. Maturity in the faith does not take place outside of you being somebody who's deeply connected to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I've read some commentaries on this, and this is—it's like hyperbole, but it's—it's just—it's like it blows it out of the water. Like, how mature are you going to be? Well, it's to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Who even knows what that means? But it sounds really stinking amazing, right? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like you say, I want to grow, and I don't feel like I'm growing. Let me ask you something. Who are your core friendships in the local church? Well, I don't have any of those friends. Why not? Well, the church hasn't provided something. Ah, wait a second. That's consumerism. What are you taking responsibility for? Who are your friends? Who do you communicate with? Who are you connecting with? What is that like? Because the possibilities are endless because we can't even put a definition on what it means to be mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then as a result, what happens is verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Now what did that just say? It is safe to be a community. It is safe. It is safe because of this. And I, I think this is a perfect example. And that is that every day 
some nut job publishes a book and claims that it's that it's a Christian book. And the foolish people, no offense to anybody who owns a bookstore in here, uh, the foolish people at the Christian bookstore sometimes say, it says Christian on it, so I'll provide that in my bookstore. And every wind of doctrine, every wind of cunning, everything uh, that could possibly be in there that has nothing to do with God ends up in that bookstore. So when you're in the community and you are serving to build up the body of Christ, meaning you're engaged in relationship, deep, deep relationship, when you're plugged in in this way, what takes place is this, is that now you have a safety net around you. You have people around you that are helping you. Helping you not just believe everything that you hear. Helping you become the person that God has called you to be. Correcting you. When you're like, hey, I just haven't been to church in six months. Or I, I, just, I just don't connect with these people. When the church comes around you and says, hey, it's not like, hey, you should be in church. You're a bad person. No, it's like, I miss you. I love you. I want you to be with me in this thing. We're in this together. It is safe for you and for me to be a part of these people. And then we won't be thrown around here and there. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Hang on a second on that one. I love that one. I'm kind of a truth teller. I kind of tell it like it is. Sometimes that offends people. I'm very sorry if I offended you recently. Um, works well with preaching occasionally. But rather, speaking the truth in love, what does that say? I'm not lying to you. I'm not lying to you about me. And I'm not lying to you about you. I'm speaking the truth. And I'm not, and, and it's not just like hashtag just saying. <laughs> you know, or, or like anytime someone starts off a sentence with, don't take this the wrong way, bud. Like, like there's always a time to be like, I'm gonna take this the wrong way. Like this is that's what's gonna happen right now. You're gonna say something stupid and it's gonna be fine, and then you're gonna be like, hashtag just saying. And then I'm going to punch you, you know, like that, that kind of thing, or stab you or something like that. But, uh, uh, but this is what's missing in, in our churches, oftentimes. Is that, is that we're not speaking the truth in love. That there isn't a, a truth telling about us. Like, like if, if we were to like stand around and we, and we were to say, like, no holds barred. Like, let's just turn off the lights and, like, everybody just, like, stand up occasionally and just say, I did this and I've done that and I, I really struggle with this and I really struggle with that. I, like, is that, is that the kind of community where we'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, I know these guys' stories and, you know, I, 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 I remember hearing that from this person and that person or, or whatever. Or would it just be shocking? And I would tell you this, that it would be shocking. Because you and I are sitting in a church today that acts like we've got our stuff together. And the truth is, we do not. We don't. We don't have our stuff together. We think that we have our stuff together because we've covered up our shame and our sin. And the truth is, that isn't happening. Let me tell you something. Hands down, the healthiest group in this church is the 423 communities that meets here. These are all guys, and hopefully in the future we'll have groups specifically for women, but these are all guys, 
that know that they have struggled at some point or another with sexual sin. These are all guys that have been in that area. And every week they come together. And this is the report that I get. I've never been a part of a community group like this before. I have never seen this happen. I have never been so close. I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember verbatim as to what I've been told. I think I've been told by three different men that have been a part of this ministry that are saying, it is changing me. Why? Because no one walks in that room without saying, this is where I'm struggling. And do you know why your community group probably isn't that great? This is a great advertisement for our community groups. Come to our community group. They suck. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should be the one to be doing this. But uh, you know why your community group probably isn't that great? It's because no one, nobody steps out first and says, this is really who I am. This is the struggle that I'm having. This is where my life is falling apart. And, and, and perhaps you have seen that. Perhaps you have been a part of that. And I, I don't want to paint all of our community groups with a, a broad brush, but when they do not work well, it is because of that. It's because that no one is speaking the truth in love. And he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is really more for next week. But it's the same word to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. And Jesus is our leader. We're to grow up to be like Him. Into Christ. From, from whom the whole body joined and held together. So Jesus as the the, the leader, as, as, as it says, the head, as this thing that contains the brain, that operates all of the functions of the body. It's like when, when we're a part of this community and there is truth-telling that's taking place about me and about us and about our community, when we grow up into Him, who is the head, it's like Jesus is the head. He's already been there. And it's like when I grow up, and into Him, and I'm connected with that life-giving source, with that operation center that gives uh, the uh, that gives the the marching orders, if you will. When I go up into that head, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now that, my friends, is like this fantastic picture. And there's others, there's others in there that we could have talked about. But that, like, theologically, when I think about that, when I look at that, I say, man, that is what I long for for our church. That passage specifically is the passage that gave me a deep passion for planting this church. That, that, that set of verses right there. When I first read it and understood it for the first time, I was impacted greatly, like massively, thinking to myself, like, what would this be like 
Because I looked at the church at that time, and I looked at the church, my experience in the church. It's not that there weren't churches like this in our city. It's that my experience of the church did not look like that. It did not look like that, that body of, of believers that I see operating and functioning together. It just looked like this place for people to come be entertained. It just looked like this place where people just were not authentic, did not speak the truth, that did not know each other. And I desire something so much greater. And God desires so, something so much greater for you. And it is deep and it is passionate. And I, I need to tell you this, and that, and that is that I don't think we're anywhere near that as a church. I, I feel that conviction about our church. This is not to put anybody down. It's to say that I, as the lead, have not led in this way. And let me just be honest about that. That like I haven't been like crazy open. And I think that that needs to change. And it's changing with your elders at this church. And hopefully that's going to flow down into the rest of our church. As we grow to be more open with our lives. And to speak and to talk about the shame that we have. I had an entire other message as typically happens to give you. Um, but then when I get into Ephesians, I get excited and I talk about that too long. And so I'm, I'm actually going to use most of this next week. And what I, but what I wanted to leave you with is two things. Is I was listening to uh, Kirk Thompson, who wrote the book, The Soul of Shame. Now, uh, I don't care if you're not a reader, get it on the audible version, but you need to get this book, The Soul of Shame by Kirk Thompson. It is fantastic. You can listen to him instead of listening to me, and I would be just fine with that. Amazing book. You should listen to it, listen to it again, or read it, and then read it again. Fantastic book. Talks about a lot of this. But Kirk Thompson was on a podcast with Jenny Allen recently. You don't know who Jenny Allen is, you should get to know who she is. She's amazing. She is really great. I'm super pumped um, that uh, she's somebody that uh, influences um, our gals, my wife, and things like that. I believe we're doing the if gathering here. Have we even announced that? We didn't. Maybe we're not doing that. We'll see. All right. I think we are. Ryan will, tip. Ryan will smack me on the hand later. But then it gets Jenny on. She does the if gathering. But she asked him something. She said, how do people change? And he responded in this way. He said, people change. It's a run-on sentence. It's a follow-up. People change by being by willingly or by being willing to vulnerably allow themselves to be known comprehensively over time by God and by others, stepping into the invitation of the next courageous thing that God has called them to do as they are freed from the shame that has kept them in their negative behavioral cycles in the first place. Let me read it one more time. People change by being willing to vulnerably allow themselves to be known comprehensively, that's completely inside and out, over time, not just one time, but over time continually by God and by others and stepping into the invitation 
of the next courageous thing that God has called them to do as they're freed from the shame that has kept them in their negative behavioral cycles in the first place. Men and women, we cannot implement the story of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross without doing that in the context of community. And it is scientifically proven that this actually works to come before other believers and to reveal who you are and that that in and of itself produces change. Our whole purpose here as a church is to be disciples who love Jesus and live outward. Discipleship is the process of change. How does that happen? It happens in community. And I have a bunch more for you next week that I want to share with you that's going to give us more of the how in this. But the primary how is, is, is really this. And that is Jesus going to the cross for you and for me. He goes to the cross and what he does is he takes all of the stuff that you and I are hiding. He takes all of the things that we're struggling with. He takes all of the, the issues that we have. And he says, I'm taking that as my own. And I'm going to give you my perfect record. And not only so, I'm going to speak over you the truth. Which is this. You are my son. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. When God looks at you, it is as though he is looking at the son of God, Jesus Christ. And he speaks over you and he says, you are my son. You are my daughter. And I am well pleased with you. Why? Simply because I do. Through Jesus Christ on the cross. That is what happens what happens. And our lives are spent from now until eternity implementing that into our life. And that happens only in the context of His people. Only in the context of His people. My hope today is that you would say to yourself, I'm, I'm not in community, but I want that. I'm not in community, but I, I want that. Not that you're not in community, but perhaps you're not in community at that level. I think there's a lot of us in this room. I'm not in community at that level, and I want it. But then secondly, but you would not turn around and say to the church, and say to us, hey, church, would you manufacture some kind of a land gathering so that I can act like I'm in community with other people? But that you would say, I am going to work hard at finding people that I can be open. And open about my life, open about my junk, and that they can do the same for me. Because we cannot make you have good relationships. We cannot cause that to happen. The only thing that we can do is to create a space where relationships can happen. That we can create a space where that can begin to grow. But we can't go the next step and say, be open with those people. We can tell you, but it won't happen until you say, because Jesus has done this for me, I can be open with who I am. So that is my invitation to you this morning. Jesus is open with you. And so would you not be open with each other 
for the sake of community. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask this morning that you would cause us to be passionate about your people, Lord, that we be connected with one another. Lord, that we would not just be passionate about serving one another, but Lord, that we would serve through our openness with one another. And Lord, that this would produce real and lasting change as a result. So Lord, I'm praying that you would give us a passion for this by the power of your Spirit, that you move on our hearts. Lord, for those of us that have never explicitly received your grace, who have surrendered to you, Lord, for those of us that have not surrendered and said, I, yes, I do have shame. I do have sin. And I want that exchange with Jesus. I want His good record. I want to be seen as and known as a son or a daughter in whom you are well pleased. Lord, I pray that they would surrender to you this morning by praying to you and saying, Lord, I want this salvation that you have for me. I want your redemption, your purchase for me on the cross. And help me to live in that. So Lord, I'm praying that for, for those of us that are here, Lord, would you work on our hearts. And Lord, for those of us that have been Christians for many years, Lord, I've been praying that there would just be another level that maybe they never knew about, that they experienced in community as we leave here today and Lord, as we work to implement this in our lives. We ask this in your son's great name we pray. Amen.